Thanks for tuning in to The Sword and Trowel. Uh, today, it's my privilege to talk to good friends and fellow church members, Jorge Onyawandra Alvarez. Jorge is actually a fellow elder with me here at Grace Baptist Church, and they are both native from Cuba. They came from Cuba to the United States as unbelievers. God saved them, and God has oriented them to where now they're very uh, just stable members of the community here in Southwest Florida, faithful church members and servants of Christ. And I, I'm anxious for you to hear their testimony and a of what God has done with them and to them for them as he's guided them over the last 25 to 30 years of their lives. And so the the insight they have to what's going on in America versus what they grew up with, what happened in Cuba is worth your time. Thank you for listening to the Sword and Trial today. Welcome to The Sword and Trowel. The Sword and Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm delighted that you have chosen to join us today for what I think will be a very important conversation and a very joyful conversation as well, because I'm here in the studio today with my dear friends and fellow church members and uh, Jorge, a fellow elder, Jorge Alvarez and his wife, Yolandra. And We've been friends now for 20 years or something like yeah. that. Is that right? Close. Yeah. So uh, Jorge and Yonder are uh, faithful leaders here in our community. Jorge is a business owner. He started a plumbing business many years ago. It's prospered. He's served many, many people throughout Southwest Florida. Yonder has also been a great help to him in that endeavor. They've got lots of stories to tell about that. They have two daughters that are also members of Grace Baptist Church here uh, in Cape Coral, Florida. One of them is married and is recently expecting your first grandchild. Yes. Yeah. So you guys. Be a grandma. That's right. You're going to enter into a new phase of life, and I can tell you, it's wonderful. There's lots of blessings. Yeah. Uh, they're officially calling me an old guy. An old guy. That's right. Go, look, it's worth it being an old guy to have I grandkids. Know. So uh, that's going to be great. Well, Jorge. Uh, you've been an elder now, is it five years or four years? Yeah, about five, four and a half. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just, I, we've wanted to have this conversation a long time. I've wanted this to be uh, available for the folks who follow Founders and listen to the Sword and Trial because it's a wonderful story. Uh, when I think about the two of you, I just see God's grace at work time mm-hmm. and time again, both in how he brought you from Cuba because that's where you were born, that's your native country, and brought you to the United States and he saved you and has matured you, grounded you in his gospel. Uh, we have been able to, to watch that happen in, in some degree over these last several years. So what I'd love to do is in introducing you to uh, folks who will uh, tune into this podcast is tell a little bit about your story. Uh, why don't we start not back in Cuba. We want to get there because I want folks to hear from Christians who have lived in Cuba, living in the United States today, and can see a lot of the things going on in the United States that people maybe aren't thinking about that you think about because you've lived through it. But let's start with uh, your conversion. How did God save you guys? Because you weren't Christians no. when you came to the United States. So tell us about that. Jorge, why don't you start? All right. So we got to the States in 2000, year 2000. And um, back there, we're, we already had an uncle, one of my uncles. He was already here. So... He was the first one that preached the gospel to me in mm. 2000, probably about a month or two after we got here. Was he a Christian in Cuba? 
he was a Christian. He became a Christian just a few months before coming. Okay. Um, and you were not, you were into Santeria, is that correct? I was into Santeria, okay. yes. I I was raised for many years. Um, I I wouldn't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. And when I turned about 11 or 12, my parents started taking me to um, houses of worship, but they were, you know, worshiping mm-hmm. idols and stuff like that. And it, it, it all was surrounded by Santeria. So mm-hmm. I grew up in that. Um, my the best friend of our family. He was one of the top um, leaders in that religion in okay. Havana. Um, so, and we had a very close relationship with him. So I grew up in that. My my dad in that time, um, he used to build what they call warriors within the religion. It's like little idols okay. that you make out of coconut or out of lead. And today is a piece of lead. Tomorrow it's an idol. Yeah. After a, a, a bloodbath and all that, so my dad used to do all of that. So I grew up in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I never heard about Christ being in Cuba. Only once um, from a Jehovah Witness, and but nothing. I mean, I didn't even know that there were even Christians in Cuba. So we got here. My uncle preached the gospel to me. Uh, I didn't even pay attention to it. I listened to him out of respect, but nothing. Um, so li- we we were living in in Miami, and it became the time that we needed to find a school for Melanie, our oldest daughter, and Joandra, my wife. She was looking for a school. All the schools on there were um, they were rough. Mm. So we ended up finding a church. But now we know we didn't find the church. Mm. God was leading us there. Yeah. And so we found the church. And they had a, they had a school from kindergarten all the way through high school. 12th grade, yeah. Um, and they had a, a lot of restrictions, mm. mainly like checking up on the kids. And there was a lot of things. But there was they were required to have an hour of Bible study every day and mm-hmm. we had to sign off on that and that was at home they had to do that at home no 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 oh, at the at school, the school. Okay. at the school right. so we were like okay <laughs> it's not gonna do any damage so <laughs> we sign off on it because we were thinking about the security of the school the safety of the school mm-hmm. uh so she was there we visited the church a couple times nothing serious no commitment at all we moved to cape coral coming to cape coral um we came here looking for the same school or the same kind of school for Melanie. And um, we couldn't find the school. So we, we talked and we said, okay, so if we can't find the school, then let's go ahead and find um, just a public school and let's go ahead and look for a church so she can continue receiving the same education she was getting. About the Bible. About the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Everything was for Melanie. Yeah. Everything yeah. was about Melanie, <laughs> yeah. uh, our daughter, not, not about us. Uh-huh. So we started looking for churches, visited um, about four, four or five different four. churches. And then one day talking, I was, back then I was doing real estate as a part-time. Mm-hmm. And then talking with a member of the team that I was working with there. She was a member here at the church before and she invited me to come. So we came and 
from there, you know, the Lord started working in us and he opened up our hearts and, mm. you know, praise, praise be to him, you Amen. know, because he saved us. He opened up our eyes and Amen. here we are 18 years 18 later. years later. Yeah. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise God. So, Yoandra, I mean, you were concerned about your daughter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I can tell you this, this happens all the time when uh, a couple has a child, it's suddenly like, oh we got to be responsible for this little person mm-hmm. and spiritual concerns begin to kind of influence the thinking of what we're going to do for not just the physical welfare of my child, but for the spiritual welfare of my child. So tell us about um, looking for a church. What were you, what were you hoping for? What were you expecting to find back then? Cause you're not Christian. Mm-hmm. And did, did you have a Christian background? Not at all. Okay. All right. So you didn't have much experience with churches except the one that uh, you went to where the school was initially. So what, do you remember what you were looking for? Do you remember what you were hoping to find in a church? I just remember that my idea of the church was that it was like a peaceful place. Mm -hmm. So all the other churches were like, yeah, I was just so hurt. Nah, no. Yeah. In here, I just more like, you know, get anxious instead of finding that peace. Mm-hmm. So when we came to Grace, it was in the Hispanic uh, congregation. Mm-hmm. After that, we just look at each other and say, yeah, we can stay here. This yeah. is a good place for Melanie. And through that, then God brought you to Christ and mm-hmm. uh, matured you in Christ and... Um, and it's been great. I mean, 18 years, it's just been a wonderful experience. And the church has changed a lot in 18 years. Yes. <laughs> and you've watched uh, that happen as well. So tell us a little bit about your life in Cuba. Because I remember, um, or I think it was, the, I don't know if it was the first or second time I went to Cuba. You went with me. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some teaching and preaching. And you were involved in some things with the churches as well. But as we were driving different places, you'd point out to me, uh, things that you knew from your childhood and what you experienced growing up there. And one of one of the stories that's just stuck with me is when we went by the place where Yoandra and her family had lived. And uh, you're telling me how many times they had to buy the place. Yes. And it, I'm thinking, okay, how does this work? And Yoandra, you were telling me this morning about mm-hmm, it. And I think yeah. in a little more detail, would you, would you explain that story? Well, yeah, my grandpa... And wh- where was it? It wasn't in Havana, was it? it Yes, it, it was in Havana. Havana. Okay. Yes, right. it was in Havana. And my grandpa used to work for a, for an electrical company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built that neighborhood for their employees. Mm-hmm. So before the revolution. Before the revolution. Mm-hmm. So after that, they let my grandpa keep the house. Okay. But he had to pay for the house. So the revolution was 1959. Mm-hmm. Fidel Castro mm-hmm. yes. becomes the president. Mm-hmm. Cuba becomes communist. Uh, yeah, which people were not expecting that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. they had a different idea. Yeah, everybody's going to be equal, free. Uh-huh. You know, that's the yes. the rhetoric of the revolution. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so if the revolution comes, your great grandfather? No, my grandfather. Your grandfather's living in the house that was mm-hmm. given to him by the company that he worked for. Yes. And they uh-huh. said, "You can keep your house if uh-huh. you want your house. You can keep your house, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you like your house, you can keep your house, and but you have to pay for it." Mm-hmm, and, exactly. And so he did that. He, he paid for the house. Okay. Yes. Paid to the government? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Yes. And then my grandma <clears throat> died. And when we when he went to um to the office that 
you know, like to the city hall. To deal with all the To deal with things, all yeah. the paperwork. They say, okay, but now you have to pay your part of the house again. Because she died, so you have to pay the house. Mm. So in 1991, he came to the States. Mm-hmm. And my aunts, they want to do the same thing, to put all the paperwork in order. Mm-hmm. So they went to the city hall and they said, yes, you can keep the house, but you have to pay now again <laughs> because, you know, the yeah. two original owners, they are not here anymore. So we did, mm-hmm. for time. And then my aunt's husband stayed in the house after all of us left. And they said, yes, you can keep the house, <laughs> but you have to pay it again. So yeah. we pay four times. Wow. For the same house wow. that it was given to my grandpa for free. Yeah, that's amazing. Which was in the family for 60, 70 yeah. years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, that, that story stuck with me because I, I know you guys, and I was trying to think what that must have been like for your family. Mm-hmm. Every time someone left or died, you had to pay for the house again. But I was also struck by what I saw, and it didn't seem to shock you because you'd lived through that but with uh, pastors and these church uh, leaders, faithful Christians that we were around during the conferences and the the different uh, seminars and things we were doing, to listen to them talk about life under that repressive communist regime Mm -hmm. and how they were being forced. We were there over a holiday, I think it was that trip, where uh, everybody's required to take the day off from work and to go to the town square and mm-hmm. to talk about how great Cuba is. Yeah. And that if you didn't do that, you they noted that you oh, didn't show up. You'll get marked. Yeah. yeah, and so some of these guys weren't going, but they were getting marked. And there was one pastor, He has a, uh, he's an older man, about my age, and then he has a son who I had gotten to know, a uh, very faithful uh, pastor in Cuba, who during the... COVID uh, difficulties, which were horrific in Cuba. And we, you know, you guys were trying to get medicine to yes. people in Cuba, and it was just almost impossible uh, to do that. Well, during that time, this younger pastor stood up because pastors were disappearing. If they would um, um, speak against the government or they would say, no, we're going to continue to meet or this is not right, they would just disappear. Mm-hmm. And nobody would know where they were Well, this young pastor stood up and actually was recorded and it went out on uh, social media saying, look, you know who I am? They'd intimidated him, told him to shut up or they were going to come for him or his family. He said, you know where I live? I don't care. What you're doing is not right. And I watched that video and uh, it it was powerful. Well, he and his father that um, I got to know a little bit, I think this was a trip you weren't on because I don't think you met. uh, No, I was was not on that trip. Yeah. Well, his, his father told me the story. I think it had been like 13 years prior to when I was there, of one day government officials showing up, walking into his house, taking all of his possessions and putting them out on the curb and saying, this is no longer your house. Mm -hmm. And then they went to the church building that they had been using for years and said, you may no longer use this building. And uh, he he didn't have a notice. He didn't have anything. He just had to try to gather and protect whatever he could on the street find a place to live, and it had been 13 years, but a, a law had recently been passed that if you'd had property confiscated by the government and nobody else had claimed it, then you could get it back. And so I was actually there the day that we drove back to his house where a woman had been living. Um, she just found it and started uh, living there, 
and to the church facilities, and everything was just run down. I mean, there mm-hmm. was no, no repair. Um, it was not livable at all. And he was taking ownership again with the hope of trying to repair it and get it back to where he could live. And again, it just dawned on me, this is the government uh, tyranny that can do this to citizens. And this is where socialism, communism always leads. I mean, it always has historically. And yet we have people in our country <laughs> now that uh, these, these leftists are saying this is what we need. We need socialism is right. We even have a, a phrase now, this democratic socialism. They think that that somehow makes it better if they use that language, that they're advocating for this where nobody owns anything, everybody's equal, that's what we're being told, and everything, life will just be great. But you lived through that. Yeah. And, and Jorge, tell us about, uh, I mean, you, you became an engineer, is that right? Uh, yes, I was a, a mechanical engineer in so, Cuba. So you went through university training, mm-hmm. became a mechanical engineer, and uh, were you able to make a living as a mechanical nope. engineer in Not Cuba? Not at all. The problem is... Um, in Cuba, all jobs are um, <clears throat> controlled by the government. So even when they say, oh, you have free education, right? Yeah, in a sense it is because you're not paying through the years when you're done. But when you finish, the first two years, you get paid minimum salary. So they can take money from whatever money you're making mm-hmm. to pay for your studies. It's just they don't call it that way, but that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, same as when you're going through middle school or high school, you're required to go and work on the on the fields for 45 days every year. Um, and they say, yeah, your education is it's free, but it's not free. You're working 45 days on the fields. Mm. It could be anything, bananas, tomatoes, tobacco, whatever it is. So, and that's the way for them to make you pay for the for the studies. Right. It's just that they 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 just put a blanket over it and it doesn't look yeah. like what it is. Um so yeah, you, but yeah. you couldn't make a living salary. You I couldn't could, live I, off. Of I it. couldn't make a living. We when we <clears throat> when we got married, we actually opened up um um a business in our house and that's how I was able to make a living. Mm-hmm not being a mechanical engineer yeah. because again, everything is controlled yeah. by the government. Even, even the jobs that you think that nobody would want, like working in a hotel, that's, that's the only place where actually people can make some decent living, at least back then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, when we were in Cuba. Um, so, yeah. And so you, that, tell us about that side business that you opened. Cause that's always fascinated me too. <laughs> uh, so, I always, when I was a little kid, I always liked um, fish tanks, mm-hmm. right? So before we got married, um, I had a little business building piñatas and stuff like decorations for baby cribs and things like that. And it was okay. Then we got married and we invested everything we had, which was almost nothing. We invested everything we had and opened up um, a fish tank business. So we will, mm-hmm. we started selling um, only tropical fish. And then within a few months, I, and I started learning how to cut the glass to build the fish tanks and then buying glasses to build fish tanks. And then we set up 
a place where we could actually breed different species and we started breeding different species. Um, then I started a little deeper more and going into like, okay, we can, if you buy the fish tank, we can do all the decoration and the setup for you. So that's how we build up that side of business. Um, but I still needed to keep my government job mm -hmm. because if not, I would put a mark on me because I was not working for the government. Yeah, yeah. You know, so working in the morning, Joandra was running the business during the day. When I got home, then I would keep on going with that. Hey, this is Daryl Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and just wanted to let you know that the second in our trilogy of books with Founders Press is fast approaching being available to you. It's called Just Thinking About Ethnicity. Just Thinking About Ethnicities. Pre-orders are available right now at press.founders.org. That's press.founders.org. You can go there right now and pre-order Just Thinking About Ethnicity. The book will ship in January 2020. 24. Just thinking about ethnicity, go to press.founders.org to pre-order today. It, it's fascinating to hear these stories. We had another man years ago in the church who had been a, um, a, a surgeon. Um, he was like an ear, nose, throat specialist. So he, he did surgery on the head and his family was allowed to come out of Cuba, but he was not. Mm -hmm. And he actually had to make a run for it. And by God's grace was able to uh, successfully do that and got here. And when he got here, I mean, he's, he's been doing surgery for years and years, but he was so happy to be here. He started driving a school bus. He was as happy as he could be yeah. because the United States doesn't recognize the certifications, mm -hmm. you know, from yeah. Cuba and vice versa. Uh, but listening to his story and the harrowing escape that he made, it just, you know, it, again, it, it gave me a sense of what communism does to brothers and sisters that I know and love who lived through it, that people who today think that, oh, this is the great way to go, mm -hmm. uh, they don't have a clue. Because you've told about uh, your oldest daughter was born in mm -hmm. Cuba, right? In the hospital. And yep. the, your uh, Megan was born here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So tell about the differences in uh, those experiences, those birth experiences. Well, <clears throat> Uh, when, when we had Megan, Melanie in Cuba, uh, the hospital was without water. No water. No water at all. So Jorge put two concrete blocks on the bathroom so I could, and he hold the bucket with water so I can like, refresh a little bit, mm -hmm. not even take a shower. And so after that, the nurse came with uh, like a glass full mm -hmm. of water a small glass mm -hmm. and a small towel and she said you can get the towel get a little bit wet and just clean your baby with the towel mm -hmm. and that 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 water was for um all the nursing, all the nursing moms that were there Everyone. so wow i could take a shower <clears throat> i could give melanie a shower after two and a half days when they sent me home yeah so wow so that was your birthing experience and uh, when you had uh, Megan. Megan, it was here. It was um, sweet that we had mm -hmm. for, just for us. And even with the jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah, it was being like being in a Marriott hotel. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. He, they have like a sofa bed in case we have to stay longer. Mm -hmm. 
the nurses were like uh, yeah. super nice and I was nervous because it was my first time in a hospital, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know the experience was like day and night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's encouraging yeah. to hear that you had that good experience on the the second child, uh, Jorge. When you got here, I mean, you didn't have a job. You, you, there were no promises made to you, nope. right? When you came here, so what did you do? I mean, you're here. You got a young family. Uh, yeah, Melanie what, was seven months old. Seven months Melanie, old. Yeah. So. When we got to the States, um, you know, after Joandra won the lottery visa to come, and my uncle, the one that was already here, he's the one that put the money so we could come. Mm-hmm. So we came to the States, and we had only in our pocket $100 and a suitcase that was maybe twice the size of that computer. In there, we had all the possessions for my wife, our daughter, and I. That was it. That's all we had. Um, you know, coming to a different country, not knowing the language, not knowing the laws, mm. not knowing customs, nothing. I mean, I knew a little bit of English, yeah. um, but but that was it. You know, and and you know, it's like being born again when you're 28 years old. Mm. Not not spiritually. I'm I'm talking about you know I, new. I, exactly. Yeah. So. We come here, um, of course, the mechanical engineering degree was good for nothing at that point. I think the training I had school, like the habit of studying and being able to read drawings and stuff, that kind of helped me out Mm -hmm. during my, when I started working on plumbing. Um, But we had nothing. Yeah. I remember uh, the first paycheck I received I was jumping of happiness because I was making seven fifteen an hour. Mm. That was my salary. And I remember that check at the end of the week, it came for $218. <laughs> so I started making math and it would have taken me almost three years living in Cuba to make that same amount of money in three years what I made in one week wow. here. As a mechanical engineer, and I, in here, I was just working as a, a, a apprentice yeah, in plumbing. In so, plumbing. I mean, did you have it in your mind, I want to be a plumber? How did you get this job? Not even close. <laughs> I mean, I remember in Cuba, we had plumbing issues, and we'll go out and find a plumber to, to fix the problem. Yeah. So we got here. Uh, somebody offered me um, a roofing job, and then part of the family told me, don't, don't take that yet. We're trying to get you a plumbing job. Okay. Uh, so they got me a plumbing job. I started working in there. I remember for the first three months, I hated it mm. because it was nothing compared. I mean, in my mind, I was still thinking three months ago, I was a mechanical engineer. Yeah. Right? Working in an office. It was nothing. I mean, I wasn't making a good living, but at least yeah. I was working in an office. And here I am three months later in a trench, six feet deep, digging and all dirty and sweaty. And so I was very frustrated. Um, The guy that was training me, he used to be a veterinarian in Cuba. And it was a wake-up call coming from him. He came to me and he said, I know you're not liking this, but either you put your mind into the job or you're going to get fired and you have a wife and a daughter to support. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So it was a wake up call. Yeah, yeah. Thanks God. Yeah. And from there, then I started actually learning and liking it, and yeah. eventually got my journeyman license. Four years later, two years after that, I got my master license in open oral business. Yeah. So I, I love that story because <laughs> sometimes I talk to uh, young men and even not even young men, mm-hmm. men that should know better. And they say, well, I, there's just no job for me because here's what I do. I do this. I'm mm-hmm. training this. There's no job for me to do what I want to do and get paid what I want to get paid. Mm-hmm. And I hear your story and it's like, I've got a wife and a, a baby and I'm a mechanical engineer, but they're going to pay me $7.15 an hour to dig a ditch. I'm going to dig I'll a ditch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I, 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 that is God honoring. And then to take the mentality to go ahead and get licensed get journeyman's and then get your master's license and then open your own business. That is a God honoring way to think. And that kind of entrepreneurial spirit is something that we desperately need more of within the Christian community, yes. uh, especially with men. And so I would just say, you know, any, any, uh, anyone listening to this ought to take that to heart. But if you've got some young boys or, and girls, but certainly young boys and young men that are kind of floundering and wondering what to do and they can't find the, the position that they want, uh, man, that, sometimes opportunity comes with a, with a hammer and a nail and a sweatband. Yep, yeah. And the thing is, the, the, the way I look at it, it's not, it's not, it could be things that you want to do. But when you are in need and you have a family to support, it doesn't matter what you want. Yeah. It is what you have to do. That's right. And that mentality is right. And, and one of the things that's happening in our nation today is that mentality is being destroyed because it's, well, no, we will give it to you. Mm-hmm. You know, we will give you money yeah. so that you don't have to go work. You ought to have this. And um, the Bible's pretty clear. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Now, there exactly. are except, exceptions to that. Somebody that's disabled and somebody has circum, uh, unique circumstances. But the general rule that God has built into his world is that we are to work. We, we are to sow so that we might reap, so that we might harvest. And uh, whatever our hands find to do, we're to do it to the glory of God. So here you are, a mechanical mm-hmm. engineer. Your hands found digging ditches to do, and so learning to do that to the best of your ability, even not as a Christian, mm-hmm. but as somebody made in God's image, Amen. and uh, having a responsibility to your wife and children. I, I think it's a great testimony. I think it's a lesson that needs to be learned and relearned in our day. So, man, I praise God for that. Yeah, and 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 many people today they say, "Well, I don't have the opportunity," or with all the the movement. And the woke ideas are, are today, they want to say, oh, we don't have privilege or this or that. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah, It's not true. It's just a reason to complain and, and, and hide behind it to say, I can't do it. Yeah. You know, we came here, no language. Of course, we're not white, if they want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And all opportunities are there. Yeah. You yeah. only need to go and work hard for it.
Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ, and Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference, and we'll also have a special guest, Ali Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. The Cuban constitution, the current constitution that Mm -hmm. the nation is under, uh, mentions Vladimir Lenin and Max Engels and Karl Marx yep. and says, you know, these are the philosophical foundation, philosophical foundations of our nation's government and that the Communist Party is the one that determines uh, what's to be done, what's right, wrong, good, or bad. And here in the United States, by God's grace, we, we have been free from that, and God saw this nation uh, to be born, saw to it that it was birthed, with a mentality that, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. I didn't mean everybody in the founding was, was Christian, but they all had a respect for Christianity because there were enough Christians that had been very influential uh, for decades that when this country was founded, it was founded with a reverence for the reality that God uh, brought into the world, into creation. And we've benefited from that. And so we don't have, uh, haven't had these oppressive schemes telling us, no, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and uh, if you don't do that, we're taking everything away. And um, the idea of freedom and religious liberty and the opportunity to try to pursue uh, a life that is meaningful that we have had in this country for generations is valuable, and it's being eroded. And I just, I hate that. And you guys have lived through it, and uh, it's been fascinating to hear you talk as uh, like when you heard Vody Balkum for the first time speaking at a founders conference here many years ago on cultural Marxism, uh-huh. and he starts describing this, and you know your your response is, That's "I know what that is," uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> because you lived through it. Mm-hmm. You lived through it, and we were indoctrinated in it. It's 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 something that is taught in the schools from um, elementary, grade, yeah. mm-hmm. starting in fourth grade all the way through high school. And in the uh, college, mm. so all that is taught in their history and all—it's—it's it's called actually—it's called Marxism. Marxism, yeah. Mm-hmm. As the name of the class. Yeah. Wow. And so it's all indoctrination. So when you see that happening, it's like the government takes control. Of course, there is no regard for God. Mm-hmm. God doesn't exist. Government is God, mm-hmm. and whoever opposes the government, you're eliminated. And so it's, um, it's, it's, it's a wicked ideology. Yeah. And, and the idea that everything or everybody is equal is also a lie. Yeah. That's why so many people believe in it today here in this country because the problem is everything, you write it in a book and it looks perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you can write mm-hmm. in a book anything you want, but when you put it in practice, it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah, it's not like that. That's exactly right. And, and one of the principles we've had in this nation is that everybody is equal before the law. So the mm-hmm. law can't treat you one way and me a different way because, you know, I'm 
taller than you are or you're smarter than I am. The, the law doesn't have, it's not to do that. You know, that's why Lady Justice is blindfolded mm. in all those statues mm. and pictures because the law treats everybody the same. But that doesn't mean everybody is the same, and it doesn't mean everybody's going to have the same outcomes of life. Uh, somebody could look at your life and say, yeah, it's easy for you to say that. You're, you know, you own your own business, and uh, you've been able to do things, and I, I don't have that. You know, I've been sitting around in my mother's basement for the last 10 years, and I don't have anything, and it's not fair. Why mm -hmm. should Jorge uh, be able to have a business and I don't have a business? Well, they're not thinking biblically. They're not thinking rationally yeah. at that point. But that is being taught to them because they're saying, no, you deserve to have everything that everybody else has. It doesn't matter how you used your life or squandered your life. It doesn't matter. And that is simply wrong. It's not the way God made the world. Uh, I know you've had friends. We've had church members in the past that um, spent years in prison in mm -hmm. Cuba mm -hmm. because of their devotion to Christ, and they would not bow to the government's dictates, um, telling them they had to do things that they just, by their conscience, couldn't do. And we've just lived through this era, uh, the last three, four, five years, with Black Lives Matter protests in the streets and with the COVID mandates. Uh, and Jorge, you, know, you were part of <laughs> those elder discussions when we were spending hours, you know, trying to figure out what does what the governor do? mean when he mm -hmm. says this and, and how are we to respond when the government says that. Uh, I, I wonder what, what would you say to um, Christians in America that have no experience with what you've lived through and no real understanding of what Marxism does, who would advocate for us today, look, we, we just need to do what the government tells us to do, and we shouldn't question that. And if you're going to be a good Christian, then you just need to obey the governmental authorities because Romans 13.4 says you know, that we're supposed to do that. How do you respond when you hear Christian leaders talking like that? You wonder what do you, how does that land on you? Well, that scares me because mm -hmm. we don't want to go back to that. Yeah. Not in here because yeah. we came here looking for that freedom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I can summary Marxism, mm -hmm. like you said, lie, lies, control. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're, you're not able even to speak, to yeah. think, nothing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And they don't realize that in here. Yeah. Because one thing is that you can tell the story, and another thing is living it. Right, that's right. Yeah, it looks good in a book. And exactly. Yes, <laughs> and in the book, I think they forgot to put something, <laughs> and it's yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to have something, you have to sacrifice. Because, yeah. yes, we have a business. We can tell all kinds of stories oh, of stories about mm -hmm. how we get here. Right. Of course, first of all, it was the grace of God. Mm -hmm. But it was hard. Sure. Yeah. It yeah. was hard. So. Yeah. I know. I've watched <laughs> you. You know, I've kind of lived with you through that, watching you handle that. And, um uh, Sometimes people think that business owners, you know, oh, they have it easy. They can come and go when they want to. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but you've got to get the job done. Mm -hmm. If that means getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. If it means staying up till midnight, you got to stay up till midnight yeah. because you've made a commitment and you've got to do it. And, and that, that idea of sacrifice mm -hmm. for reward is lost in our day. And, and, and I would say um, 
talking about, you know, o obedience to government in Romans 13, just go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. Because, mm -hmm. yes, we're to obey the government because the government was putting that place by God. Everything, and God is sovereign, and he controls everything that happens to us. But the government can tell us to do something that is not biblical. Mm -hmm. So if you're telling me that is not biblical, my obligation is to God first and government later. Right, right. Not, not the mm -hmm. other way around. And the Bible tells us to not to be afraid of those who can um, kill the body, but to be afraid of that which is God who can kill the spirit and mm -hmm. the body. Mm -hmm. So we are to honor God first on anything, and then government. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, let me ask you this one final question. I mean, you guys, you've been a part of, of Grace Baptist Church for 18 years now, and so as you have um, found your place of service here in Southwest Florida and in the church raising your daughters, what, what has been the, the benefit of being a part of a church, coming from a Marxist communist country, finding Jesus Christ in this country, and then seeing you know, a lot of the challenges that go with this country, because every place has challenges. Yeah. What, how has the church been helpful to you, been valuable to you? How's God used your involvement in the life of a local church to help you in, in every area of your life? Um, well, I would say God has changed the way we look at everything, right? Because when we opened up the business, we were still not Christians. And it was all about, I can do this because I already know what I do. So I can do this by myself and I can make money, right? To support our family with time and getting to know what the Bible says, the Bible changed our hearts. Now, yes, we want to provide for our family, you know, and be faithful, but before that anything, we want to glorify God through mm. everything we do and say, which was not the idea at the beginning. Yeah. So God saved us, opened up our eyes, and now it's not the ambition, because that's what it was, it's not the ambition of making a ton of money and I can be independent from having a boss or doing whatever. I want to glorify God through our business. We mm -hmm. want to glorify God through our service. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, then also we, we came to know that, for example, in Cuba, there were also Christians, mm -hmm. you know, so how, yeah. how we can help the ministry over there. Mm -hmm or how we can support them, how can we serve our community locally. Mm -hmm. um, and God has given us the gift that we can speak two languages. Mm -hmm. So we can reach out not only to those who speak English, which is not our language, we can also reach out to those who speak Spanish, yeah. you know, and serve in, in any way. Yeah. And you've both done that uh, wonderfully well in the church. It's been a, a tremendous blessing because we do have a lot of people in Southwest Florida who don't speak English, but who do speak Spanish. And we want to get the gospel uh, to folks 
all around us, and the, bo- both of you have served wonderfully well in that capacity. And then raising your children, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's been a joy to watch your kids grow up uh, in this church, and, you know, they've, they benefit from your heritage of having been raised in Cuba yourselves, but they're also benefiting from, okay, you know, there's opportunities here that, that my mom and dad didn't have back in Cuba. And uh, I, I love just watching and seeing how that's uh, being lived out in your children also. It's been a blessing to have the opportunity to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Because we didn't know. Yeah. Right? So at the beginning, it was it was a, a conflict of who we were to who we are now in Christ. Yeah. Amen. So, and that's what the gospel does. Amen. I mean, Jesus Christ changes us, gives us new lives here and an eternity with God forever. Well, I love you guys, and I thank God for you. I'm so glad to be serving the Lord with you here in Southwest Florida in Grace Baptist Church, and appreciate you coming on the Sword and Trial. Again, <laughs> we've been looking forward to doing this for a long time, worked out in the schedules for you guys to give up your time for us today. And if you want to know more about what's going on in Cuba, uh, you can contact us because Ahura and Yuandra are involved in that, and they've led our church to get involved in helping other churches and ministries, getting the gospel, getting supplies to Cuba. And sometimes that's been very, very difficult. But uh, God's given you connections to work around systems sometimes that have thrown up roadblocks. So thank you for joining us on the Sword and Trial today. We want to thank our Founders Alliance members. Their support helps us to produce this kind of content week by week. If this podcast has been useful to you and encouragement, please pass it along and let others know about it. Thanks. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.